Good morning. Please join me in standing for the reading of God's word. And we're reading again today from Exodus 34, 29 through 35. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with two tablets of the testimony in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all of the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, so Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him, and he spoke to them. Afterwards, all of the Israelites came near, and he gave them all the commands the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what he had seen, <clears throat> what he had been commanded, they saw that his face was radiant. Then Moses would put on the veil back over his face until he went in to speak with the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Really want to just add my own voice to encourage you to come next week out in the patio. Um, There's been a really neat ministry going on. And if you're wondering, uh, you know, we, we, were, we had all this momentum. About seven of you met two and a half years ago in the high school room uh, to talk about how can we be in, involved with people who are experiencing homelessness. And then the reason the pause, there's this little thing called, called COVID that happened. And everything just got paused for two years. And we lost all that momentum in one sense, but now it's back and, and we're excited to jump back in. And it's literally two doors down. It's right in our backyard. And so we feel like... God has, has uh, placed this in our lap, and we are supposed to lean into this. So I want to encourage you just to find out more next week um, if you feel called to do that. So um, we've got this little, we're back in Moses. You know, we, we, we left Moses. Yeah, yay Moses, right? We're back. I missed Moses for the last couple of weeks. Uh, I like Jesus even better than Moses, so that was pretty great. But uh, I'm happy to be back with Moses. I think Moses is top three. You know, Jesus gets one, but top, top, I'd say even maybe top two. Um, pound for pound, I'd say. Um, uh, I, I love this, this little, you know, snippet of a story that, uh, that we just heard read. And, and it reminds me of something Jesus said, an image that Jesus gives us in the Sermon on the Mount, where he says this, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. And it's a kind of strange image. But my, what I get is this physical picture of imagine your eyes are like a window into the rest of your body. So if you're looking at, which I am right now, a bright light, that light shines through your eyes and casts light into the rest of your body. Okay, that's the physical image. And now I can't see it all because I just looked directly into that light. Um, but the picture is this, I think. What you focus on. What you fix your eyes and what you fix your thoughts on radically impacts all of your life, radically impacts who you become, or as I heard it this week, what you behold impacts who you become. And so this morning, as we look at this little story about Moses' radiant face, I think it's an opportunity for us to ask ourselves, where have I been fixing my eyes lately? What have I been beholding? Where is my focus in life? Is it on myself? 
Is it on my appearance? Is it, is it on everything that's going on in the world? Is it on worldly pursuits, running after worldly pursuits? Is it on my kids? Um, is it on my problems, my anxieties? Is it on my God? Is it on the gospel? Is it on God's kingdom? Where is my focus? Because what we behold radically shapes who we become. And we see this in a very profound way in Moses' story. But um, I think we also see in our own lives, as we'll see this, this morning. So um, let me remind you of the context of this, because it's been a couple weeks since um, we've been with Moses. Uh, context, uh, chapters 33 to 34, uh, Moses, is a moment of crisis, right? We had the golden calf episode, remember that? And a moment of crisis, and, and in the midst of that, Moses offers this bold prayer to God. He says, show me your glory, Lord. Remember that? And God answered that prayer. And he answered it in, in two ways. First, he gave him a, a visible experience of the glory of God, right? He said, you can't see my face, but I'm going to put you in the cleft of a rock. My glory will pass by, and you can see my glory as, as I pass by. And Moses got a, 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 a visible experience of the glory of God. But more than that, he got a proclamation of God's character and his name, which really is God's glory. Remember what God said? Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished, right? This is the essence of who I am, Moses. And I can promise you this experience was the highlight of Moses' life. Okay, I guarantee it. The glory of God. He got to experience what every single one of us most deeply longs for, whether we know it or not, that our hearts were built and created and shaped to experience the glory of God. And there's all these other broken ways we pursue glory in life. But I promise you, when we get to experience the glory of God, our, our hearts will say, this is what I was made for. <laughs> this is it. Everything that I've been searching for, this is the answer to that. And Moses got at least a little glimpse of it, the, the glory of God. So that's, that's the context. And now we have this, this little passage, which I just find fascinating, okay? So Moses has been up on the mountain, right? Now he's coming down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets. Let me just read to you verse 29 again. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord, okay? And the word radiant, it means more than just like a subtle glow, like just a sunburn or something like that. Okay, the word, it actually is related to the word horn. So the, the idea is Moses is like radiating rays of light around him, like horns of light coming, coming uh, from him. And yet it says, I love this, but he wasn't aware um, that he was doing it, right? He's, he's not aware of what the presence, of being in the presence of the Lord, the impact that that has had on him. And people are they're aware, but he's not. And I was thinking, I, I have a regular experience of this. Um, one of my favorite things to do is to have friends over for a fire in my backyard. Hog, Hog has been a regular attender of, of Gunlock Fires. And um, I, I love uh, wood fire, real fire, okay? And I love just the, the, every stage in the, the life of a fire I love. Um, but I have this experience of being outside in the fire, and then I come home, or I come inside late into my bedroom, and Carrie says, whoa, you brought the fire in with you, right? And I'm not aware 
of the fact that I kind of just bring fire wherever I go. Um, but I've spent the last hour and a half just looking at these flames, absorbing the heat, absorbing the elements, absorbing the smoke, and I, I come in, and I, I don't smell the smoke, but I smell like fire. And this is the experience of Moses. He spent time in the presence of the glory of God, and in a way he's not even aware of what he's beheld is, is shaping who he's become. And I just think that's, that's beautiful. And so you have in verse 30, um, when, Moses, when Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant, and they were afraid to come near, right? They're scared. This is more than just a little glow, right? He's like, this is like beams coming out. Um, but Moses called to them. So, so Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him, and he spoke to them. Afterward, all the Israelites came near him, and he gave them all the commands the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai, okay? So a little bit scary for them, a little bit shocking, but um, they're getting a taste of God through Moses, right? He's bringing to them what he had received from God. He, he got an experience of the visible glory of God. Now they're getting a little experience of the visible glory of God in the face of Moses, right? And he got an experience of God's character as God proclaimed his character. And now they get an experience of his character as he comes back and he says, and he offers the commandments of the Lord, which reflect the character of God. And then you have in verse 33, um, he, he's putting a veil on his face. Let me just read this again. I was trying to figure out what's going on here uh, this week. When Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But when it, whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what he had been commanded, they saw that his face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went in to speak with the Lord. So my understanding is he takes the veil off when he's speaking with the Lord, okay, on Mount Sinai or in the tent of meeting. And then when he first comes back to the people, he keeps the veil off as he, pro he proclaims the commandments that the Lord had given him. And then when it's just everyday Moses, he puts the veil on, okay? So it's just Moses hanging out, the veil is on, right? So uh, here's how a commentary put it. This functions primarily to authenticate Moses as the divinely authorized intermediary, the one true and trusted bearer of God's word and instructions to the people, right? And I was thinking, what a wild experience, okay? I want you to try to imagine being Moses. You are glowing, but you're, you're glowing with somebody else's glory, okay? You're, you're radiating a glory that is not yours. But he knows my, my time in the presence of the Lord has has transformed me. It's, it's changed me, and I, I'm glorious. But I'm not glorious with my own glory. I'm, I'm glorious with someone else's glory. And I just think it's interesting, because God had said to Moses, you cannot see my face, right? No one can see my face and live. But now Moses experiences it, and yet when people see my face, they get a little glimpse of the glory of the God whose face no one can truly behold. But my face gives them a glimpse of God's glory. What he beheld <laughs> radically was impacting who he became. And just imagine the Israelites' experience. Okay? They were experiencing, this phrase might sound familiar to some of you, the glory of God in the face of Moses. And if you remember back in chapter 19, God had shown up in glory on the, on the top of Mount Sinai. Thunder, lightning, trumpet blast, right? Smoke, awesome. He spoke audibly to the people, the Ten Commandments. At the end of that, they tell Moses, you know what? Why don't you talk to God and uh, you tell, tell us what he says, but this is a little overwhelming for us. And so they couldn't handle God's sort of 
unmediated glory. But now they're getting a glimpse of the glory of God in the face of Moses in a way that they can handle, that they can take in, that's, that's more palatable for them. What an what a interesting experience for, for both of them. And, you know, th- that was a kind of a, a one-of-a-kind, unique experience that Moses had. And yet what I want to do now is actually consider this is an experience that we all in our own small ways can have because of what Paul says uh, in the New Testament. So what I want to do is now I want to just keep that image of Moses in your mind and I want you to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 where the Apostle Paul um, draws on this story of Moses to talk about what now happens in us in the New Covenant. I love this. 2 Corinthians 3, you can go to verse 7. Uh, I'm before that, I'm going to put up, um, this is 2 Corinthians 4, 6. Let me just read this to you. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, that's the creation account, right, Genesis 1, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Jesus Christ. Okay, here Paul is saying, Jesus is the ultimate Moses, Okay. Just as the glory of God was displayed in, in its own way in the face of Moses, now God has sent his son, Jesus, and he is the perfect image of God. And so he radiates God's glory and God's character perfectly. Gospel of John, the word, right, who was in the beginning became flesh and we beheld his glory. Glory as of the only begotten. Moses was not an only begotten of God. Jesus is the only begotten. And so he is the perfect Moses who perfectly radiates the glory of God. Through the face of Jesus Christ, we get a glimpse into the glory of the living God. And the context here, let me read to you from verse 7, is, is Paul is saying the new covenant that we're a part of is so vastly superior to the old covenant that, that God was forming with Israel at Mount Sinai. And here's just some of the ways it's better. Let me read verse 7. Now, if the ministry that brought death which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with surpassing glory, a lot of glory here, And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts, okay? Big idea, new covenant is vastly superior to the old covenant, okay? Old covenant was written on tablets of stone, right? Moses brings down the Ten Commandments. The new covenant is written on tablets of human heart, right? The deficiency of the old covenant is you've got rules on a set of stones. The problem is you can't get those rules into your heart, can you? And so it doesn't help that much to tell me what to do if you don't help me do it. And that's what the new covenant's all about, is we have the Spirit now who actually writes God's words on our hearts and empowers us to begin to actually be able to obey the law that God has for us. It's a vastly superior situation. He talks about the old covenant brought condemnation, right? No one could perfectly fulfill the law. But the new covenant brings righteousness. Jesus, we talked about last week, has perfectly fulfilled the law. He is our perfect sacrifice for sin. So now we experience forgiveness and reconciliation. The old covenant law was transitory. It was temporary. The new covenant is forever, okay? 
vastly better glory. The image Paul is going with, imagine the old covenant is like, you know, God was shining into a dark world. He was shining a flashlight into a dark world through Moses and Israel. But now in the new covenant, now the sun has risen, okay? Now we live in the light of day. It's a vastly superior situation to Moses's and Israel, okay? And then the key verse that I want you to see is, is uh, verse 18, okay? And I'll put it on the screen if you don't have your Bibles in front of you. And we all, okay, all this Moses imagery, with, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit, okay? So just as Moses beheld the glory of God and was transformed into that glory, so we also now, we behold the glory of the Lord, I think in the context probably the Lord Jesus, as we behold the, the glory of Jesus, we're being transformed into the glory of Jesus. Just like Moses coming down from the mountain, we now, as we fix our eyes on Jesus, we're becoming more and more like Jesus, okay? Now, notice the way, are you guys with me? Yeah, okay? It's sort of post-Easter. It's kind of a post-Easter letdown morning, you know what I mean? Like, I woke up, I was telling everyone, I'm kind of in a brain fog today. I'm just kind of slow and, you know, this is... So I hope you're still with me. You, you good? I'm feeling a little low. It's, it's all me. It's just my own projection. Okay, great. Um, notice how the transformation happens, okay? This is uh, Paul's theory of transformation. It's wild to me. Um, two parts. First, there's our part in it. And what do we do? We, with unveiled faces, contemplate the Lord's glory, meaning we fix our eyes on Jesus, we consider Jesus. We notice Jesus. We pay attention to Jesus. We worship Jesus. We watch him. We focus on him. We worship him, right? This is what we do. And as we do that, as we look at Jesus, we begin to become like the thing that we're looking at, okay? That's our role. Fix your eyes on Jesus, but then you have the Spirit's role. This comes from the Lord who is the Spirit, okay? As we look at Jesus, God's Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, begins to transform us, work in us, in our minds, our hearts, our character, so that He starts to change us to become more like the thing that we're looking at. Because the reality is, without the Spirit doing this, nothing's going to happen, okay? And Paul's really clear about that in this passage. Look at, um, look at did I put this, uh, well, look at, verse, look at chapter 4, verse 4. Look at the work that needs to happen for a person to be changed like Jesus. Verse 4, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the glory that displays the glory of Christ. Uh, or sorry, the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Okay? There's a spiritual enemy out there who blinds people from seeing Jesus as beautiful. Okay? Look at chapter 3, um, verse 13. Paul is talking about the Israel of his day, and most of the Jews of his day did not follow Jesus. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, verse 14. Their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil re remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. He's playing with this image of Moses wearing a veil, and he's saying that's the veil that covers many people's hearts. All that to say people can look at Jesus... But, the, but Satan, there's a veil, prevents them from seeing it. So they look at Jesus, but they go, well, so what? <laughs> right? He's, he seems unreal to me, or he's not compelling. He's not interesting. I don't buy that. Um, 
right? That's, they see the same thing, but they don't see him as beautiful. They don't see him as compelling. They don't see him as glorious. And so what's required is a work of the Spirit. So here's how this works. Our part is we just fix our eyes on Jesus. We watch him. We notice him. We pay attention to him. We worship him. We trust him. And as we do that, we cry out, Spirit, I need you to change me. I need you to make Jesus more compelling to to me than the world is to me. I need you to begin to change my character so that I begin to imitate the person that I'm looking at. Because apart from you, I can't do this. That's how the transformation works. We fix our eyes on Jesus, and the Spirit does his work of shaping us so that we become like that which we behold. And guess what? It doesn't happen all at once, right? We're being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. Some of our translations say from glory to glory, meaning one slow step at a time. <laughs> but one day at the return of Christ, we will be completely transformed into his glory. Look at this passage in 1 John. Dear friends, now we are the children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, listen to this, we shall be like him. Why? For we shall see him as he is. We will have become like the thing that we are beholding perfectly. That's the journey that we are all on. Okay? We become like what we behold. Psalm 34, those who look to him are radiant. That's Moses' imagery, right? And their faces are never covered with shame. And I want to just kind of spend the rest of my time, just step back and, and consider this um, theology of transformation, if I can call it that, uh, if you will, that, that we, um, we become what we behold. Or maybe in ordinary language, we'd say, holiness is more caught than taught, if I can say it. Well, you know, holiness is more caught than taught. Uh, we become like Jesus, um, not by looking at a sense, set of principles and trying to follow them, right? Not, there, there's, there's not like a five steps to a holy life kind of thing, right? If I, if I just take these steps and I implement them, I'll become like Jesus. That, that's actually not how transformation happens. It's not a self-improvement project because that would never work or it would turn us into Pharisees in the process, okay? Transformation works this way. Holiness is all about what you love, Holiness is all about what do you fix your thoughts on? What are, where are your desires? What, what, is, what is it that you find compelling? Okay? That's, that is what shapes our holiness. And so holiness is not about taking these principles and executing on these principles. It is about fixing our eyes on Jesus. It's about looking to the glory of God again and again. It's not like being Martha. Remember the story of Martha and Mary? Martha's busy. She's distracted. She's doing all these things. It's like being Mary who is just sitting at the feet of Jesus, beholding him, taking in his teaching, absorbing his way of life and his person till she's becoming more and more like him. That's how holiness works. We watch Jesus until our desires begin to change. Because I promise you, until your desires change, you will never be holy, okay? As long as you still desire the world more than Jesus, as long as you still desire certain things more than, than good things, um, willpower is a really, really bad substitute for transformed desire, okay? It's not a very sustainable way to go, right? 
And so this is about what we love. It's about what we desire. It's about what we worship and focus on. And so I, I was just this week thinking, I love this, that, that phrase, those who looked at my art rating, thinking about my own life and <laughs> how, much of, um, how much of my life is so just my focus is on myself. It's not on God, it's on myself. And a lot of it, it's even focused on my own spiritual growth. I think a lot about whether I'm growing or improving or not. But as I was thinking about this week, I'm like, Moses wasn't up on Mount Sinai thinking about his own spiritual growth. You know, he, wasn't, he probably wasn't like, how can I improve today, right? He was just beholding the glory of God. And that, and that experience just began to transform him. It, it changed him in ways he wasn't even aware of. And so as I just think about my own life, who I want to be, I, I so badly as I move into the next season of my life, I just want to think less of myself. <laughs> I, I want to just... Think more about Jesus and watch him and learn from him and enjoy him. And hopefully over time, someone will go, you know, Dave, you're more courageous than you used to be. You're more loving than you used to be. You're more patient than you used to be. And I'd be like, am I? Cool. I, I didn't, I wasn't, that's awesome. That's great. I'm stoked. Um, but I'm really just focused on Jesus. That's, that's, that's what I want to do. Um, last week, we looked at the story of the early apostles, Peter and John, who remember when they healed the lame man um, in uh, Acts 3, and then they were before the Sanhedrin, the ruling council, and they were like, their lives were in danger, but they stepped up and they were courageous. I want to just give you a verse that describes them in that moment. This is the, the religious leaders is the they. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And here it is. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. I love that. Here's these guys. They have no formal theological training. They're stepping in the moment with, the, with these theological, the, the hefty theological guys with courage. And they're not scared. And they noted these guys have been with Jesus. Right? They spent three years with Jesus. They'd absorbed Jesus. And now Jesus' spirit was transforming them into the man that they had followed for three years. But that's what they noticed. These men have been in the presence of Jesus. And I think that's what the world needs right now. It needs men and women who are in the presence of Jesus, who, to use the Moses imagery, who go up the mountain regularly and behold the glory of God and then come back down the mountain reflecting that glory in their families, uh, in their neighborhoods, in their workplaces, in their communities, with their friends, right? In, their, in all the places they go. I, I, as a parent, I think I've been thinking about this a lot. What do our kids need? What do our grandkids need? Um, they don't just need more principles, though they may need some more principles, but they, they need parents. They need grandparents who regularly behold the glory of God and step into their relationship with their kids and their grandkids as people reflecting that glory. They need parents who are passionate about Jesus. That's what my kids need more than more rules for me or more freedom for me or whatever it might be. They need a dad who's passionate about Jesus. They need a mom. They need a grandma and a grandfather who are passionate, who behold Jesus and reflect that. And they just know, man, grandpa, grandma, they love Jesus. I was thinking of my, my own dad this morning who's here. Don't embarrass him too much. But um, uh, my dad just loves the Word of God. And, and I have such memories as a kid of him being out in, in the backyard uh, in the mornings, and my mom would do this too, but I, I remember my dad especially in the Word of God, 
And I can very specifically remember him coming in from outside after that time in the morning, and there was a presence about him. There was a joy. There was a peace. Uh, there was, I could tell that he had, he, it's like me coming in out uh, up from the fire. He had come from the word, and I just, I, I could experience it. And I have no memory of my parents ever telling me to have a quiet time. I, maybe they did. I have no memory of that. But it was caught. <laughs> it was caught more than taught. I saw the passion in both of them, and I did that because I could see it was compelling to them, and it became and still is compelling to me. And we need those kinds of people. I, I, I had coffee with a woman the other day. Um, you wouldn't know this woman. She's just kind of an old friend through a program. She's almost 80 years old. She had a very hard background, very hard family of origin background. But we're having coffee, and I just paused like 45 minutes in the, coffee, in the, in the conversation. I said, you know what? Can I, I, I just want, I want to be you when I'm 80 years old. You, you have a vibrancy, you're, you're, um, you're humble, you're joyful, you're so wise. And it was just, I, I rarely articulate that to people in the moment, but it was, I recognize this person has been in the presence of Jesus for 40 plus years now. And the glory is radiating from this person. I'm experiencing it. And this is what the world needs. <laughs> needs men and women who are in the glory, who behold the glory, and can reflect that glory into the world, whose lights shine like stars in a dark world, as the image Paul gives. All right, let me, let me just leave you with this. I, w- I want to leave you with a little, little practical. How do we behold the glory? How do we practically do this? And there's nothing going to be new here, but let me just walk you through a couple thoughts. How do we behold, how do we fix our eyes on Jesus, Okay couple obvious ones. First and foremost, we behold him in his word, okay? This is where we see the glory of Jesus, and I want to commend this book to you, (laughs) to open it all the time, but there's a certain kind of reading that's required, okay? And it's an unhurried reading. You have to open this, and you have to taste and see that the Lord is good, you have to digest it. You have to turn it over in your thoughts. You have to turn Jesus over in your thoughts. You have to take him in, watch him at work until your soul is satisfied. Sometimes your soul will be confronted too. But there's, there's a beholding that you have to behold him, not just see him, but see him as glorious. Right? Until your soul says, yes, that's my hero. <laughs> that's the guy I want to follow. Let me just talk you through this. Um, Blessing ministry, Axios this year, we've been going through the Gospel of John. We've been beholding the glory of Jesus. So here's what this looks like, right? Those who looked to him are radiant. Um, John 2, this is the wedding at Cana. You read the story about Jesus going to a, a little village wedding, and the, the, you know, the couple runs out of wine, which is a massive faux pas in that day, okay? You don't want to run out of wine in your, uh, at your wedding reception. Bad news. This is like a week-long celebration, Okay? It's going to be a lot of dry days ahead. So um, you see Jesus at work, and you see this guy. First, you just see his compassion on a couple that obviously doesn't have a a ton of resources. You just see his compassion. But you also see this man who loves celebration, who loves joy. And you you take that in. Yes, Lord. The very next, next door, you have Jesus going to the temple. And he comes in, he sees all these people selling and overpricing, you know, these sacrifices in, in the temple courts. And zeal for his father consumes his heart. He has this, he's this passion for his father's glory. He's like, you guys, are, you guys are messing with my dad's house. 
And he takes a whip and he clears the place. And we look at that and we behold the glory there. Yes, Lord, you have a passion for your Father. I want to have that kind of, that sort of wholehearted passion for the God of the universe that you have. Uh, chapter 4, this is Jesus and the woman at the well. Okay, I'm just going to show you one, one more after this. You read this story about Jesus and the Samaritan woman, and if you know the context, you know there's about a thousand barriers that would keep these two people from ever having a conversation in the first century. There's cultural barriers, there's gender barriers, there's religious barriers, you, you name, there's all sorts of barriers. And you watch Jesus, who just sees this woman, has a heart for her, and he crosses every possible barrier to encounter her and to meet her and to love her. And we, we read that, we take that, yes, Lord, that's your glory. This is what you do. You cross all sorts of boundaries to reach people. Jesus, would you give me that same heart that is willing to, to, to cross all sorts of boundaries of people who are so different than me, who I would never encounter, but that I might see them through your eyes, right? One more. Feeding of the 5,000. Um, <laughs> I love this story, right? There's, there's no food. There's thousands of people. There's this boy. He's like, I got a couple loaves and some fish. And Jesus takes this meager offering that this little boy has, and he feeds an entire multitude. And we, t- we see that, Jesus, and we say, yes, that is your glory. You, you can take the, the, the littlest of things that we offer you. Like, God, I, I, got, I don't have much, but here's what I got. You can take that, and you can multiply that and use that in profound ways for your kingdom, right? That, that's how we need to read the word. We take it in, we take him in, and we behold his glory. So we behold him through his word. Uh, we behold him in worship, of course. We're going to sing some songs in a minute. How do you engage in worship in, this, in the context of this room? Um, what are you doing when, when we're standing there and these songs are going? What is going on in your heart and mind? Are you directing your, your voice to the king, are you taking in these lyrics and are you, are you letting them impact your heart so that this is really a, a beholding the glory of God through these songs? Or we take him in and worship. We take him in, his glory in through his creation, right? We behold the glory all the time. It's one of my favorite ways to behold the glory of God is through his creation. And one last way we do it is we behold him in suffering and in trials, when we're going through it, and many of you are going through it, and we're going through hard times, what we do is we fix our eyes on Jesus. We keep looking to him, and when all evidence would say something else, we say, I trust you. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to keep looking to you in this. I, this, isn't, this isn't working. I don't know how to solve. I can't solve this, but I can keep looking to you. And we behold the glory in trial. This is what we do. And we also get to behold the glory in communion. Let me pray, and then we'll turn towards communion and behold his glory there. And Father, this morning we just proclaim that you are good and glorious and awesome. You are the thing our souls crave, whether we know it or not. May we be a bit more like Moses, men and women who fix our eyes on you, who see your glory, and may you, through your Spirit, transform us so that we become more and more like the God that we look at. And I pray even now in communion uh, that we might see your glory and taste it as well and be healed by it, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name.
Amen.